In the quiet of this hour As I kneel before you now I believe your promise To be faithful I don't always understand what your perfect will demands but I've learned to trust you more in your presence Lord in your presence there is assurance in your holy presence Lord there can be such sweet reward when we wait upon the Lord as we take the time he gives his perfect wisdom to be found in him alone as our deepest secrets known we're surrounded by his grace when we seek his face when we seek his face in his presence come into the presence of the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, what a wonderful reminder that in your presence it's comfort, peace, joy. We can lay our hearts when they're heavy and to know that you bring the 
ointment that heals after we've suffered maybe a cut or a bruise on our souls. And Heavenly Father, we thank you for that wonderful privilege that we have to come to you. Know that not only that you're present with us and that we can be in your presence all the time. Help us mindful of that, Lord, as we live our lives. Today, Heavenly Father, we see a world of chaos and confusion. And we thank you that you are our solid rock, our hope of such a great salvation. We pray for our world, Lord, and we pray especially, too, for America. We pray that that message can resound in the halls of Congress, at the White House, and throughout our judicial system. Lord, we ask you to bring to mind those who are misguiding this world, and that, Lord, you'll raise up people, leavers, who will stand for what is right and what is true. And that, Lord, your righteousness can reign. We come to you especially, Father God, and, and for our country, and for the elections that are coming to us, Lord, to give people wisdom. We pray also too, Father God, for those who protect us, those who are on foreign soils, those who are in the military, and those who are even walking our streets protecting us. We pray, Lord, that you give them the strength to stand tall and for the justice system that seemed to be overworked because people forgot who you are and your laws. And that, Lord, we pray especially too We pray also, too, for our congregants here, Lord, as they go into their jobs and situations that they go to. Give them the words to stay and the strength to be able to have the faith to stand tall, both in their work situations, in their homes, with their families, all those areas that they touch, Father. And today, Heavenly Father, too, we bring to you those that we know that are struggling, our shut-ins, Pray for Bill as he's nearing his time to be with you, Lord. I thank you for his joy and hope in you, Christ. Be with Connie as she prepares as he leaves this earth. We pray also for our sister Lucille and for Joyce. For Joyce with the pain that she's having so badly in her back that you bring healing to her. We pray also for Karen. I pray also too for our friend Daryl, Lord, and the loss of his wife. I pray that you continue to encourage him. We are so grateful, Lord, to see Howard this morning and his recovery from his surgery. We pray also, too, for our brother Everett to continue to bring healing to his body, for Angie O'Gile, who also is battling, along with Samantha Mama, Jason Stevens. We pray also, too, Father God, for Nicholas. He's supposed to have surgery, Lord. We just pray that that will happen soon. That healing can come to his body and so that he can have that taken care of. That you'll give him the strength and restore him fully. We ask you, Father God, too, for Mr. Mack, one of our teachers here. It was so good to see him this week as he's been battling for a year his cancer. We pray also, too, Father God, for the Schaefer family who lost their dad last night and also his wife. Just give them courage and strength and bring them comfort. Pray also too, Lord, for our students that are gone to college, that are walking the halls of our high schools and junior highs and grade schools. Lord, protect them, watch them over them, both physically and also in their minds and their spiritual lives, Jesus. We know what is being poured out to them and we're very concerned about it, Lord. We ask you, God, just bring protection. Give them wisdom. 
Help them to see you and not what the world is trying to push down their throats. We pray for those that are battling addictions. I pray for Jordan as he's got out of treatment, Lord, and I just pray that he will continue to walk in the way that you call him to. I think of Ryan who's struggling, and for David, and for Eric, and Ricky, and Mitch, and Russell. All these, Lord, have battles, huge battles in their lives. We pray for deliverance for them and to be finding their strength in you, Christ, and not their addictions. And now, Father, we pray as we come to you, we want to be your good disciples. We want to follow your way. And we ask you, God, now that you will speak to our hearts from your word. Let your Holy Spirit anoint us not only to just be hearers, but doers of this great word. And it's in your name we pray, Christ. Amen. The Lord's Prayer is one of the most elegant and beautiful pieces of literature that even the world recognizes. But it's interesting how easy it can be misinterpreted, how prayer can be misunderstood. Some of you watched Art Linkletter in his days when he had little opportunities where he had little kids to say a few things, and he asked them one time about the Lord's Prayer. One of the little boys said, Our Father, which art in heaven, hello, what's your name? Another one said, Give us this day our jelly bread. And then finally the one who said, For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen and FM. Well, folks, there are people who misunderstand that prayer. They misunderstand what prayer is all about. And today we have Jesus who's speaking to his disciples who've been watching the Pharisees and the Sadducees and what they were doing to prayer in their lives. And what they watched, not only of the Jews, but also the Gentiles and how they handled prayer. And Jesus, of course, we know is giving this discipleship lesson. Remember, he was baptized, he was anointed and said that he was the son of God. We remember he did the 40 days in the wilderness being tempted and that continued going on afterwards, but he withstood it and we have somebody who can fight with us when we're tempted. And if you remember, he called the 12 and sat them down in what we call the Sermon on the Mount on the mountaintop and he began to teach them about truly what the Father in heaven wanted back in Israel. And as he called them, he wanted them to learn the true meaning of their faith. And the true meaning of the faith that was going to be established through him that the Messiah would come through. And so he began the Beatitudes. And you remember, he started in the third person with blessed are those who are poor because they know their poverty is spiritually and they need God. And that they mourn over their sin. And then the second, that, that they were also as disciples like us. You are the soul of the earth. We're the purifiers. We're the ones who preserve our society. And then he went on to say we're also the light. We're exposers to the world of what's going on and what's wrong. And then he went into the first person. And if you remember, he began to talk about how Moses said certain things, but there was misinterpretation. The Pharisees and the scribes, they were missing it. Oh, they could say, thou shalt not commit murder. But boy, they could rip somebody apart in their heart and talk bad about them. And Jesus says, it's the same thing you're murdering. You're assassinating somebody, person that was made in the image of God. And then they would say, well, Jesus said, and you heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Oh, we haven't committed adultery. Yes, but where's your heart about and what's your eyes seeing and what are you doing with it in your heart? It's the same as committing adultery. And then we also heard Jesus talking about 
how we are to walk in a new way. Our righteousness needs to exceed the Pharisees who did, the, not, did not do the things that we were prohibited to do in action, physically. But in spirit, their hearts were far from God. And Jesus said to us, his disciples, as he did to those disciples back in the day, you are to be way above those Pharisees. Our lives should be so radically different. And then he began to talk to them. And in chapter 5, he talked about the deficiency of understanding the doctrine that Moses had laid out and the Old Testament prophets did. But then in chapter 6, he comes to us and to the disciples and talks about the deficiency of their practice. You see, sometimes we like to hear big words like orthodoxy, which means right believing. And it's very important that we rightly believe. That's why they put the Apostles' Creed together, the Nicene Creed, and other creeds, so that they could hold people who couldn't read, but they could have a body of knowledge that they could understand how what was right and what was wrong. God gave Moses the Ten Commandments for the same reason, to hold that society together and to live for God, and how to live for God, and how to live for God and to love your brothers. And so we had the Ten Commandments and how they eschewed it. And then last week, as we began chapter 6, see, he went from orthodoxy, which is right belief, to orthopraxy. How do we rightly practice our faith? And it's at this point, Jesus comes to them with the three pillars that the Jews, the scribes, and the Pharisees held on to, which was, number one, how a person gives we remember how they liked to give. They liked to blow the horns on the street corner and so that they could, people could see them putting money in the box. And Jesus says, that's all hypocrisy. And then Jesus today is going to speak to us about prayer. What's real prayer like? And then finally, he's going to talk about fasting. And those were the three pillars and you see, Jesus knew the disciples saw what was going on. And they were misunderstanding because these people, these teachers of religion, were not living, not acting with a true heart for God, but to build themselves up and have their egos boosted. And so Jesus comes today with one of the important tools that you and I are given our whole life. And that is prayer. It's a powerful tool that Jesus himself would not go without as a human being here on earth to accomplish his ministry without prayer with his father, communion with his dad. And he wants us to understand the priority we need to make prayer in our lives. And how important it is to uphold us and to pray for the things that are important he wants us to have an important tool in our backpack to walk faithfully with him through this life. Because we all know how difficult it is in our society to stand up and be counted and, and tell people and tell our own children and disagree with them. And so Jesus comes to us. And he begins with prayer and his disciples. And he says, when you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. And truly I say to you that they have their reward in full. But when you pray, go into the inner room. Close the door. And pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now notice what Jesus first says. He doesn't say, well, when you get around to it, pray. He says, when you pray. We always should be praying. We need his power 
The church is failing today to be the influence in society because it's failed to pray. It's failed to be on its knees. We as parents have failed because many a times we have not been on our knees for our children. When they were being in high school and being offered pot. Or when they were having situations in college where they were tempted to have sex. We should have been on our knees praying for them. So that they could see what the Holy Spirit has for them. And Jesus says to us, when you pray, that's the battle. When we get involved in situations, that's the battle. We need to be prayed, in, prayed up inside. Because the challenges are there. And Jesus speaks about it here today. Paul himself, a great minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who affected the Western world that God used. And what did he say? Rejoice always. Do you know what that guy went through? And yet he says, rejoice always. Why? Pray without ceasing. When those crises come, you're already enamored with power. When problems come, and you know it. You know that you need the strength in those places that you have no power at all. Whenever I get a call for the police department to have to go tell somebody that their child has been killed, or have to go console a family who had a sudden death in their family, I am not just looking at my GPS on the phone. I start praying that God will guide me and prepare the hearts of those people who are devastated in their life. Many of them who do not have a savior. Many of them who have no hope of eternity. And that this loved one has gone into eternity that has no hope. And the words to say and how we can com comfort them in their time of need. That when I mount this pulpit, let me tell you, I pray a lot. <laughs> because I know I struggle. And it's hard. But I want to give God's word. I'm a speaky, speaking for him. And you know what kind of pressure that puts on you? As you go and, and you share to people what you've studied in the word. And you know there's going to be people who will delight to hear things about God. And you know there are people who may not like at all what you said. I've had it five different times in my 30, how many years have I been doing this now? 40 some years? <laughs> my last one, I guess, was down at the nursing home at Park West that Howard and I do. And I was preaching in the nursing home. The guy stood up and he said, I'm not listening to this garbage and walked out. I prayed for his soul. But I pray that he heard the truth that he needed to hear. When I do a funeral, you can see it with the people. Yesterday we had a full house in here. Probably almost 185 people. And to talk about Jesus as the Savior. And how he died for their sins. And that we all need him. And we're not going to be able to do it by good works. You could see it. There are people who sit there and go, no way, I'm good enough. You can hear it in their hearts. Because they think there is such a good people that God would just be so grateful to have them come into his heaven. They're clueless. The Bible says their eyes are darkened. And that I know any kind of logic or any kind of words that I say are not going to penetrate their hearts. The only thing that's going to penetrate anybody's heart is the power of God through the Holy Spirit to touch them and draw them to himself. That's it. Otherwise, it's hopeless. And that we can share that joy to other people. And you know there are people out there who are wonderful people. They make great neighbors but they're totally lost without Christ and they don't know it. Now today, Jesus uses that phrase, when you pray, we need to pray. 
We need to pray in bringing up our kids. We need to pray in our marriages. We need to pray with our neighbors. We need to pray, pray, pray. Jesus wants us to do that. Because that's where the bountiful supply of power comes. In the work that you and I do as his disciples. That's why in Luke's account, Jesus' disciples came up to him. Lord, teach us to pray. Because they had terrible witnesses of prayers. Because they surely liked people to blow the horn in the synagogue when they got up and said their prayer. Or when they cleared the corner so everybody could see how good a religious person they were. And Jesus says to them, this is how you pray. He gives them a little model which we know as the Lord's Prayer, which really is the disciples' prayer. Because Jesus wanted them to model that prayer and how they prayed. And Jesus says to us that we need, if we're going to be prayers outwardly, one of the first things we need to do is we need to be prayers in the closet. We need to have that intimate time with God. And go deep within our own souls and be honest with him of who we are. That's the problem in the prayer life. Sometimes we go through this and it's wonderful like I do here on Sunday morning. But that's only a small part of it. Supplication. One of the things we need to do is get on our knees and pray adoration. And Jesus is going to show us that. Who God really is so we understand the power that we have behind him. That we understand our souls are in such need and we confess to him. And help us to clear out some of those things that as our sinful nature has them, they oftentimes will pop up. And then we will do something foolish or hurtful to somebody because they've tripped our trigger. And Jesus talks to us. And you see, this was the disciples', the disciples problem. Jesus taught them this, but they still didn't get it. When they were in Gethsemane, Jesus' last hours on earth, he tells them to pray. And what are they doing? They're sleeping. Yeah, of course they were tired. But they had no clue what Jesus was talking about or what was ahead of them. And how they were going to have to handle the crisis that they were in. And that they needed to pray to prepare their hearts for what was coming down the road for them. And instead, they were asleep. And Jesus says, get in your private chamber. Spend time and speak to the Father. Share with him your inner concerns and your failures and your fears. Speak in those. See, the Jews had three times a day, they had actual prayer in the temple. 9 a.m. was morning prayer. Then they had a prayer at the midday. And then 6 o'clock at night, they had another prayer, which was the final prayer of the day, which was a confession prayer. Because all the things that went on. I was reading Brennan Manning. He was talking about how sometimes we're afraid to pray in that closet. For many reasons, sometimes we're dreading to be alone with God. Because we know he sees our hearts for what they are. And he knows our foibles. He knows our fears. And we don't want to come to confront them. He knows our fears that are blocking our faith. He knows the challenges that are coming to our lives that we don't really even want to know about. That we dread even being alone with him, no less ourselves. And that we know that he sees it. He wants to point it out so we're prepared and ready for the next thing. Sometimes we don't want to go see him and be with him in the dark room in the closet alone because we're ashamed. We've committed that sin that we continue to do and we get tired of asking for his forgiveness. We don't have any power over it. 
Or we find ourselves being ashamed of what we did. And that's all tied into our ego. And you see, Jesus wants to loosen that up and sets us free to forgive and bring healing to our souls. And you see, Jesus doesn't want us to do hypocritical prayer. But rather, he wants us to have relational prayer. That we're relating to the Father in heaven. It doesn't have to be elegant. You don't have to change your voice tone when you're talking to God. You don't have to have a personal agenda. He'll help you. He'll open up the word and you can go through that word and it'll speak to your heart. Of something that's inside of you that needs to be cleared up. Sometimes in public prayer, people like to use it for gossip. And you'll hear in the prayer meeting as a person's praying, for the, oh my goodness. And Jesus wants us to pray without ceasing. To be in his presence as Howard sang this morning. So that our character is strengthened. And that we find ourselves increasing in our faith. Because nothing's off limits to him. And he frees us. He wants us to enjoy his relationship with him and have that power. And that we're sincere and we're genuine when we're sharing to him. And that we find ourselves in that spot where we feel secure. That he knows all about us. And we're not afraid to be vulnerable with him. That's what happens when you spend that time in the closet. And that you can be freed from those insecurities. Even the deep hurts in our hearts that maybe we have carried for years. That he wants to heal. Yesterday I shared from the Psalm 23, and we hear that beautiful words of Jesus where it says, or, or of David about Jesus, that he anoints our heads with oil. And you know when the shepherd brings his flock in at the end of the day and puts them in the fold so they'll be safe, he goes through the sheep's wool because he knows they had, could have gotten a barb in them or they could have scraped up against the rock. And that there's probably some oozing scrape or wound. And he makes sure that if he, when he finds it, he pulls the scab away. And he puts the ointment on it, the healing balm, so it doesn't get infected. You've seen it with people sometimes, haven't you? I did. I do. There are people who've been wounded and are carrying bitterness inside because they've never taken it to Jesus who will clear that wound out and healing ointment put on them. I've seen it with children with their parents who've not been able to forgive them because they haven't taken it to Jesus. They haven't looked at their own souls and realized what's going on inside and let Jesus pour his ointment on them. And we find here Jesus is speaking to us and says to us, don't try to impress people with your prayers. Speak them out. Just be open to him. You know, one of the dangers of prayer meetings sometimes is when people are in prayer meetings and they're, another person's praying and they're thinking, okay, what can I say? What should I say? Oh, let it flow from your heart. The care and love you have people. And that remember that you're not praying to the group of people. One of the things that public prayer you have to be careful of. God made me aware of this one time when I was praying for a board meeting way back when I was in college. Somebody asked me to pray and I, I caught myself saying, Dave, you're not praying to these people. 
You're praying to God and you're bringing this group to God. You mean to make them understand. And that one of my favorite stories is about a Presbyterian minister who became a news correspondent for NPR. His name was Bill Moyers. And one day Bill was interviewing President Johnson, you know. President Johnson was O'Hole's bar, Texas driven, and says it speaks his mind. And after the interview, he said, Bill, would you like to have some lunch with me? He said, sure, Mr. President, I'd be delighted. And so they had it. And as they sit down at the table, the president says, Bill, would you mind praying for our meal? He says, why, sure. And he starts to pray and the president doesn't, can't hear him. So he says, Bill, would you speak up? And Moyer said to him, Mr. President, I'm sorry, but I'm not talking to you. Now, sometimes that happens. People don't realize, but we're praying to Almighty God. That's the person we are. That's the truth of the matter. And so Jesus comes to us and says, our prayers should be not showing off like the hypocrites. Then he says they also watch with the repetition. Look what he says. It has to be meaningful. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetitions as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard by their many words. And so do not be like them. For your Father in heaven knows what you need before you even ask him. We see that in 1 Kings chapter 18. We see Elijah standing against the prophets of Baal. And these people are praying, slashing their backs, slashing their lives, smashing their chains on them, praying to this God who they're hoping that he will send fire from heaven. <laughs> and Elijah makes fun of them. He says, here, you want to call him a little bit louder? Maybe he went to lunch and he's not listening to you right now. He's mocking them. And these people were sincere, beating themselves, cutting themselves, hoping their God would hear them. Because Elijah knew that wasn't a God. They were bowing down to altars. They were wood beings. And then Elijah prayed. And all the altars were consumed with fire, even though he had poured water on them. And it was just a simple prayer. Sometimes you and I, as one theologian out of Norway, I think it was, said, sometimes the most sincere prayer that you and I will ever pray is help. Help me, Lord. When all else is gone and there's nothing else we can do, we come finally sincerely by faith to God because we know there is nothing we can do. It's not the way we scream it or shout it. I had a friend of mine who was a pastor, and I know he was sincere. But it seemed to me when he prayed, his voice got louder, and he strongly prayed the, and, and, and stormed heaven. And, and one guy reached over to me and says, is God having a hearing problem? You see, because that's not going to do it. Saying it over and over and over again repetitively, there are people who do that. If you ever go and see and watch or, or watch on video the people that go to Mecca every year for, for their holy days, they go around and they say the same things over and over and over. They're not getting any headway with God. And Jesus says to us, don't be like the Gentiles. Have that intimate communion with the Father. That you can pray to him and bring it to him. And that you can truly trust in what he has for you. And do it with real content. When you're saying it over and over and over like a mantra, it is not real content. 
God who listens to us and communes with us. That's what the Bible shows us. And that we truly understand what prayer is about. Not repetitious babbling, but is speaking to God who listens and knows exactly what we need. And that the rewards are so great from him. I can remember when I learned the Lord's Prayer as a child. I'm embarrassed to say that, but this is what happens sometimes. I know there are some people when we used to do it every Sunday in church after the pastor would do the congregational prayer. We'd finish up with the Lord's Prayer in repetitive nature. Our Father who art in heaven. And, and I'd be saying it because I learned it. But I'd be sitting there going, I, I wonder if my friends are going to be playing today who are in heaven. And, 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 and our minds are going. I know a lady one time said to me, yeah, I, I had the same problem. I was trying to pray, but I kept on wondering if my roast was burning in the oven. That happens. And what Jesus now gives us is what we need to pray. Notice what he says. Pray then in this way. Yes, we can repeat it, but it needs to be meaningful. But here he says especially, follow this pattern. What's the pattern that he's giving to us? Well, it needs to be heavenward. He says, our Father, who are in heaven. And we know that name is troubling in our world today because there are many people who don't have or haven't had good fathers. But this is the true Father who cares immensely by us. And if you notice, he doesn't use a singular pronoun, my father. He says, our father. Because we are God's children. And that, you know, there's a thousand verses in the Bible that speak about father. But there are only about a third of them talk about God being our father. And there's a, most of them are in the New Testament. We hear in our world, well, God is the father of us all because he created us. Well, yeah, he's the creator. But if you really want him to be your father, you need to be forgiven and adopted by him through the son. You see, there are a lot of people who think that God, just my father and I'm okay. No, the Bible doesn't say that. In fact, we need to be adopted by him. That's why Jesus Christ went and died on the cross. And at the end of his resurrection, and he's standing by the tomb with Mary, and she says to him, and he says to her, stop clinging, Mary. She wanted his presence there and wanted to hold on to him. He says, Mary, stop. Because I haven't descended to my father and to your father. What Jesus is saying there, he was of the essence of the same being God. He was the father in the son. And he says to Mary, your father. Because so what he did on the cross, he bought our adoption. And we are called his children. And he is called our father. So much so that Paul even says we can call him Abba or Daddy. And that he is not this celestial being that Bed Miller sang about when from a distance. No, he's your father who really cares about you and is with you every moment of your day. And that he especially has a deep love for you, and we need to have a deep respect for him. And that his fatherhood is to be hallowed, set apart. And that the burning desire of our hearts is to be with our father and to speak to him and let him know what's going on in our lives. Not that he needs to know it. He already does. But he wants us by faith and dependence to him. 
And oh, sometimes we forget that. We think we're able to handle it by ourselves. And Jesus says, no, our Father. And then he says, kingdom. We're to be honoring God and also looking for the first principle in prayer is to be concerned for God's kingdom. To come this earth. And that Jesus wants us to understand that the real need here is that our eyes get focused on his will. Thy kingdom come. We know that that decree is going to happen. But that you and I are part of that. And that we're to be workers, salt and light. As that kingdom does come. And that we praise him. That we see he's totally different than all other beings. And that the depths of his love are so far than we could ever experience in our lives. Except through him. And then Jesus goes on. And he says, then he says, now it's time to ask him for your daily bread. I remember one guy, I said to him, you know, well, God gives you everything. <laughs> no, I, I go to work and I earn a living. I provide food for my family. I said, God can take that away from you very quickly. You're a very blessed man because you live in America and because God has allowed you to live in America. But don't think it's just because of you. It's God's hand is upon you and he's blessed you and he can take that away instantly. He's giving you food and shelter. He's giving you life. He's giving you health. Do you not think that that's a gift from God? And then he goes on. It talks about keeping the balance of our hearts. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation. Jesus knows what we face every day. He knows how hard it is for us sometimes to forgive people. But he shares with us it's so important to do that. For the health of our souls. For the health of our relationship with him. And that ingratitude to what God has done for us. We should be willing to forgive all those who've offended us. And that we are a platform. When we forgive, we're showing how the Father has forgiven us. By giving his ultimate sacrifice so that we could be forgiven. And that we realize that we need his help because we easily fall into temptations. Thinking ourselves are better than we are or bigger than we are. Or thinking that we can handle life by ourselves. And then he talks about the restorative part. He says to us, for you forgive your transgressions. Your heavenly father will also forgive you, as we forgive others, so critical to show who we really belong to, to show how truly we're so grateful for what God has done for us to save us, and how much we are owing him for our sinfulness, and that he's freed us so that we can forgive others. And we can follow him. I saw this the other day. When a man whose son. Had been murdered. By another young man. And when the final statement came for family to make their statements. About how this murder or this event had affected them. This dad had come to know Christ. He even became a pastor. And he talked about how hurt, how deep 
The hurt was for this man to have cold-bloodedly killed his son. And then he said, but because of Jesus Christ, who's forgiven me for all my sins, that I forgive you for what you have done to my son. You see, that's the heart we have when Jesus reigns through his Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, today we come to you and we're so grateful that you have taught us to pray. We so much want to honor you. We are so thankful for what you provided for us. And we are so grateful that because you have bought our lives and saved us, that we can forgive one another. I thank you, Lord, for your healing balm and for this love and intimacy that you have for us. Help us, Jesus, to live in that presence every day and walk in it genuinely, lovingly, and honestly with you. And it's in your name I pray this, Christ. Amen. Please rise for the benediction and singing our closing song. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God your Father, and the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen. Praise God from